Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine lovers, and welcome back to another episode. And today's episode is about the birthplace of Prosecco. Now, the wine I'm talking about is Cornelliano Vallobiadene Prosecco Superiore D.O.C.G. This is the name. And I recently visited a month ago or so, and I have been dying to tell you all about this place. It is the most enchanting wine region that you can go and visit. And it has, well, it has a lot of hills. <laughs> so these rugged Prosecco hills, they were recognized in 2019 as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And they are literally, oh my gosh, breathtaking testament to the nature and the cultural beauty of northern eastern Italy. Full stop. So the reason they received UNESCO recognition was because of the interaction between man and nature. So as you look out on these hills, I need you to imagine it with me with your eyes shut. You enjoy this mosaic masterpiece. So the vineyards, they're like inside of the forest that just wraps around them all. Now the region is about 55% forest and only 30% vineyards, but that means there's this significant biodiversity and then the shape of the hills themselves are incredibly special. So they are called Hogsback. Now, this is the only place in the world with this shape of hill that also has vineyards planted. Well, then, because this region is home to thousands of small-scale vine growers, you have all of these little hamlets between each of the vineyards. So I've mentioned the steep slopes. To make it possible to care for these vines, they use this specific terracing system called Cilione. And this just, uh, it completes the magical vista. So they are these really narrow grassy terraces, which just keeps everything looking so vibrant and green, but practically it also stops the erosions. And then equally, the woodlands, they're dotted all around and they also stop the erosion. So it's just this perfect network of biodiversity and nature working at its best. It it's just, gosh, I, I can't describe it. It's a very peculiar landscape and gorgeous. So if you want to feel internal peace, <laughs> this is a big promise here, internal peace and serenity, this is definitely a place you want to visit. So it's about 40 minutes from Venice Airport. So you can perfectly pair that city trip alongside this winery visit trip. It's also about one hour 40 from Verona if you want to see where Shakespeare's love story unfolds. So throughout this episode, I'm going to tell you more about what this region has to offer, some places where you can stay, some places where you can eat. But before all of that, I also want to explain deeper about this region and the quality of 
the wines. But before we go into those details, I just want to make sure that I mention Wickham's Wine. They are my supporters, my sponsor of the season, and they are allowing me to grow this podcast. So I'm truly grateful for this partnership as I adore their wine selection, genuinely, and they are making it possible for me to continue creating and sharing what I think (laughs) is valuable content with you all. So if you are in the UK, feel free to give them a little love back using the code EATSLEEP10, which is going to give you 10% off your first order. And feel free to ask me personally what my favourites are, because I will be very happy to share them. But for now, let's get back on to the fizz. Now, the full name of the appellation is Conegliano Vallobiadene Prosecco DOCG. And the name of the sparkling wine wait for it, is Conegliano Valdobiadene Prosecco Superiore D-O-C-G. However, the consortio is actually quite aware that these are quite long names. So there are official guidelines should you want to shorten the names. Um, So you can say the slightly harder to pronounce Conegliano Valdobiadene or the easier just Prosecco Superiore. But it is so important to express that this area, these wines, and the quality is insanely different to just Prosecco DOC. So it's important to separate Prosecco DOC, the sparkling wine that we buy in the supermarket for £6, £10, from Prosecco Superiore DOCG. So this DOCG region, it covers 8,000 700 hectares and they have reached their maximum they will not be planting anymore and with this they produce 100 million bottles whereas Prosecco DOC the grapes can come from all over the Veneto and the Friuli region and they currently well they're continuing to expand they currently make about 638 million bottles across around 32,000 hectares and these vines they're planted on a lot more of the flatter lands now this episode is not to poo poo on I mean can I just call it standard Prosecco or supermarket Prosecco but it's more to actually hopefully open your eyes as mine have been opened into the beauty and the absolute nuances of this region the top of the pyramid or should we say the the holy grail of this whole region and that's actually due to Prosecco's growth in general that has meant that Prosecco has become kind of simply and sadly just a brand name and I can say that As a wine professional in the trade for over a decade, I too have fallen in the trap to just often grouping all Proseccos together. I think we all need to admit that we do that and there's a lot of judgment. So let's talk about the differences between Prosecco DOC and Prosecco Superiore DOCG so you understand a little bit better. So I'm going to start with yields and how they work out in the vineyard. So across the whole of the Prosecco DOC, they work to 18 tonnes per hectare 
And because they're often harvesting on those flatlands where tractors can roam the lands <laughs> with ease, it costs them, I found this fascinating, about 4,697 euros per hectare with 250 hours a hectare of manual labour a year. Okay, but now you need to listen to what happens between the 15 communes that make up Prosecco Superiore DOCG. So they have to work to 13 tonnes per hectare. Then there are these super steep hills that you already know about. So no tractors are getting up there. So it's all done by hand as they slide down the hills. <laughs> so... The costs are 164% higher. So we are talking 700 or 800 hours of manual labor per hectare per year. So the costs are, okay, drum roll please, 12,410 euros a hectare. I mean, when I heard that, that's when I realized that you actually get phenomenal value with your DOCG bubbles. You know, many of them start, good ones are going to start at about 15 pounds a bottle. And the flavors that you get from these wines are also really, really different due to its geography. So I guess it's worth me covering that now. So this region, I just mentioned, it has 15 communes and they lie between the two towns of Valdobbiadone, and Conegliano. Now, the hills between these towns, they run west to east, and this means that you get lots of south-facing slopes. So this gives the grapes much more time to sunbathe away, to ripen up. Now, these hills, they are between the sea and the pre-Alps. So it maintains this mild climate, then there's loads of altitude with vines planted from 50 meters above sea level up to 500. So then there's this abundance of wind that just keeps dancing about. And I certainly felt it. But also there's the swing in temperature from day and night. So if you're coming, definitely take a jacket no matter what time of year, just in case. Now, there is a decent amount of rainfall they get about 1,250 millimetres falling each year. But again, imagine those steep slopes so the rain can just run off so there isn't any issues of vines with wet feet, which of course they do not like. And then, okay, now we're going to get to the soils, which I promise <laughs> I'll only touch on for a second. But there are nine different types of soils here, but they're really ancient. So being just 100 kilometers from the Dolomites, the glaciers or the Dolomites have brought up uh, different sediments. The land used to be under the sea. So there's lots of marine deposits, there's shells, there's fossil, there's lots of calcareous soils and important marl clay soils. Basically 20 million years of history right here. But the whole region, it basically offers these little micro zones. And so it depends on where the vines are planted, on the slope, the exposure and the specific zone. So I guess this is as good a time as any to move on to the Rivas. So 
There are 43 rivers, and in Italian dialect, this means the steepest slope on a hill. So it's basically a single vineyard. But to imagine these are vineyards with south exposition. They are old vineyards with lower yielding vines. Each riva, which is the singular name, has its own unique terroir, meaning that it's got its own unique flavour. It's a place of just, well, beautiful landscape, biodiversity. So instead of making a bucket list of all the places you need to visit in the world, you could make a bucket list to try and taste all 43 Reavers, keeping in mind there is more than one producer in each Reaver. So this fun project could take you some time. Now, Right at the top of the pyramid is a hill. One hill, just 107 hectares. And this hill is split between about 45 different producers. So another bucket list, maybe, <laughs> to try them all. So this is the Grand Cru site. This is the Cartesi Hill, so known as Superiore di Cartesi. 80% of the vines here were planted before 1980, so there are also lots of old vines, which means more concentration. This is a hill with perfect south exposure, but also because of its own microclimate, the grapes are typically riper, than the rest. They can often be picked a week later than the rest. Um, and they have even lower maximum yields of 12,000 kilos per hectare. And so with that, the traditional style of the Cartesi Hill will be dry. Now, what I mean in terms of sugar levels, remember, I've talked about this on other podcasts, that when you see dry on a bottle of sparkling wine, it doesn't actually mean that it tastes dry. So the dry sweetness level is, in fact, 17 to 32 grams of residual sugar per litre, making it actually a very off-dry tasting wine. But it gives these uh, fruity, creamy deliciousness, but it's cut with this very crisp, refreshing acidity. So it just really works. But if I haven't convinced you, you'll be happy to also know that as modern drinking has kind of brought things drier than ever before, you can now sometimes find yourself an extra dry, so that's 12 to 17 grams of residual sugar per litre, or even brute, which will be under 12 grams residual sugar per litre and will in fact taste dry. But... When it comes to Cartesi, I recommend you go traditional, soft, creamy, fleshy, but elegant. So it's going to be like less apple, but kind of more rose and the tropical floral aromas. Now, I am talking about flavours, but I realise that I haven't actually mentioned the grape yet. We've got to do that. So the grape of all of Prosecco is Glera. Now, Galera is a medium aromatic grape variety. It is fruity and it's floral. You tend to get lots of pear and melon notes with it. But to give you an idea, it sits somewhere in between, say, a Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc for its aromatic. So hopefully that kind of gives you an idea. Now, Galera, interestingly, has very low sugars. And so what that actually means is that if you control and restrict the yields, it doesn't increase the sugar levels, 
but just increases flavour, which is really interesting. And with climate change, it does mean that grape varieties like this could be a good option for other regions potentially struggling with overripening. Now, Moving on to the other grapes of the region, 85% of Prosecco Superiore must be Glera, but the rest can be made up of local varieties Verdiso, Bianchietto, Trevignano, Pereira, and Glera Lunga. And then you can also add in the international varieties Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. But I feel like that's enough of the grapes. I want to get on to the winemaking techniques and I want to dispel a myth that all Prosecco is tank method and that all Prosecco is made in just a few weeks, fun and fruity. So here we go. So the tank method, it's also known as Charmat method around the world and the Martinotti method in Italy. If you're wondering why there's so many names, well, I mean, the tank method is kind of the more unromantic name that just practically describes the vessel that's used, whereas the other two are named after the men involved in the invention of this production method. So Federico Martinotti, he was an Italian anologist who in 1895 came up with this way to make sparkling wine in bigger volumes and quicker than they did in champagne by doing the second fermentation in an autoclave rather than an individual bottle. However, Eugène Charmat or Eugène Charmat, not sure how you pronounce his first name, who was a French inventor. He understood what Martinotti was doing, but was actually able to enhance the design slightly of the modern autoclave, what is basically a sealed stainless steel tank. And he patented it over in France in 1907. And for that reason, we also now know of this as the Charmat method. So you choose which one you want to use. Now, I have always been super quick to explain that the tank method is a process where secondary fermentation happens in pressurized tanks, the autoclaves, and in less than four weeks, you have your sparkling wine. It's bottled under pressure, it's sold to the world fruity, fun and fresh, and typically cheaper because the winery isn't sitting on stock for long. However, <laughs> this is a fair way to explain your standard Prosecco DOC, but it is not really very fair for Conegliano Valdobiadene Prosecco Superiore DOC. Even <laughs> the name takes ages to say. So you can imagine the extra time in the winery to make it, right? <laughs> so, of course, every winery will make its own decisions. However, every winery I visited on my trip showed they were far more fastidious, more focused, including lots of lees into their wines, which of course builds texture. So, as an example, the winery Gemin, who you should all look out for, they will rack their wine after the first fermentation that takes about 15 days. So to rack means to separate the juice from the sediments to, to clean it up. And you're basically moving it from one vessel to another. Well, during this, they will leave the wine with some of the lees and they will do some light batonage. So that is lees stirring. Now, you certainly can't go crazy with this grape variety as it's not a strong grape. But the joy of Glera is those bright aromatic notes and you want to keep that. Now, after this, they will wait till winter time 
They'll have a taste of each tank and they'll see what's going on. They will then decide which wine will be made into a cuvee for a brute style or which will be extra brute. Then they will make a pied de cuve, which is the mixture of yeast and sugar to start the second fermentation. And this is something that I never ever thought about. So you have to try and focus now. They don't add a dosage. So this is the added sugar at the end because they aren't working with bottles. They aren't doing a topping up at the end. So they have to calculate at the time of adding in this Pierre de Couve, what is the exact amount of sugar that they need to create the exact amount of pressure and then also the remaining residual sugar. So geek out time. So this will just take a second for those of you not interested, <laughs> I promise. Anyone who wants to know about yeast, you're going to add 500 grams of yeast per 50 hectolitres. But now for the sugar, you need to add four grams of sugar per litre, which will convert into one bar of pressure. So this is the trapped carbon dioxide, right? So this is the byproduct of the sugar converting into alcohol. I hope you're all still with me, right? Okay, so they want about five bars of pressure. And so they need to add in 20 grams per litre, plus then the added amount of sugar needed to create either a extra brute style or which would be up to six grams of residual sugar per litre. Or if they're going for a brute, they may want to add up to 12 grams of residual sugar per litre. So <laughs> that's the geeky part over. <laughs> They will then use a paddle inside of the autoclave to mix up the yeast and the sugar. Then temperatures shouldn't be too high as that can create more aggressive bubbles, but equally too low may encourage the yeast to give off bad aromas. They go for about 16 to 18, but I know some of the other wineries were going more 14 to 16, so it is a personal choice. The fermentation will last up to about 20 days, and then they will drop the temperatures down to about 5 degrees. And then it's typical to leave the wine in contact with the lees in the autoclave for about 100 days. So that is three and a half months. Now for the Rives, they're going to leave them for about seven to eight months. So I can hold my hands up and say, eh, I was wrong. <laughs> you cannot categorize all Prosecco as just that quickly produced fresh and fruity bubbles. These wines, they are chalky and vibrant, but with this purity of fruit and just, just finesse. But that's not all. There is, haha, there is another category that you need to know about, and it is called Sui Levati, which is the traditional way to make sparkling wines here. So the latest figures say that just 200,000 bottles of this style are made. This is basically col fondo, which translates to with the bottom. So basically with the sediment. So i.e., Lees. So the wine is cloudy. But this name, Sui Levati, came into place in 2019 because Colfondo was trademarked by two wineries. Plus, those producing a Colfondo are actually doing it under a crown cap. Now, under a crown cap is much easier to manage, but the true traditional way is that the second fermentation, which happens in bottle, happens under a cork, which can be very challenging 
as the extra bubbles, so the extra pressure, can, I guess, keep the winemaker on their toes. So the wine in bottles ferments to total dryness. So this is a brute nature, so zero residual sugar. You'll have a less fruity style with more of a kind of like a sourdough edge. You already know that this is going to be a cloudy wine. However, as the bottle has typically been sat around for some time, the lees will have fallen to the bottom of the bottle. So the fun with this wine is that you're going to have two choices. So you can just pour carefully and then you can get a much clearer looking wine in the glass. Or you can go the whole hog and just make sure that you are not missing any of those complex aromas and flavors. So then you just carefully turn the bottle before opening it just to mix everything up. But the choice is yours. So that is wine styles. Ah, okay, one other. You will not find a DOCG rosé. The rosé category has only been permitted in Prosecco DOC. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about you going to visit. So, I will start with a place that you must stay at. And it's actually a really funny story for me. On our first night, we were driven up the Cartesi Hill to what was supposed to be one of the best restaurants in the area with some of the most sensational views of the whole of the Prosecco Hills. And I'm sure you can imagine that after me telling you about how special this Grand Cru Hill is. Now, we were all talking about if we'd visited this area before and I was telling everyone about this amazing hotel that was basically like a converted stone farm house or a barn. It has just four rooms all with these floor to ceiling windows so you just wake up and look out on these rolling hills and there's a spa underneath and there's a pool outside surrounded by those beautiful vines. They had this incredible restaurant and I was telling everyone it was the most fantastic stay about 12-ish years ago. Then all of a sudden we literally pass by the building and I recognise it immediately. So I'm jumping up and down, well, you know, in, in my seat and I'm pointing and I'm saying to everyone, this is the place, look, 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 this is the place where I stayed. And at the exact moment, the coach just slows down and pulls into the car park. And it turns out that we were eating at this restaurant. So the hotel or place to stay and the restaurant is called Salis. And oh gosh, you have to check it out. I was just gobsmacked. And with all of my excitement, it was it was really overwhelming to find out that where I had stayed by chance is now one of the iconic places to stay apparently really hard to either get a reservation and especially to be able to stay in one of the four rooms. And the worst thing of it all was because I was very new into the wine industry 12-ish years ago, I didn't even know that I was staying on the Cartesi Hill. All I knew was that I had beautiful views in the Prosecco area. And the most ridiculous thing is that if I had just walked about one minute around one of the corners from 
the Salis Hotel was the best view possible and I never did it 12 years ago. So <laughs> I'm so glad I got to come back. I'm so glad I was able to put the puzzle pieces together. So forever this is going to be a very special memory for me, but you do need to go and check this place out. Now, the very opposite in terms of eating to the elegance of Salis is a place called Osteria al Castelletto. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, but don't forget there is a transcript. Just go to the show notes and you'll see the link. And it is like eating in your grandma's house. However, but we are talking your aristocratic grandma. But this is like the warmest of welcomes. There is meat charring on a flame in what's basically an indoor fire pit. So just imagine the smell. The vegetables taste like they've literally been picked from the garden outside and the portion sizes are mega. That is a must stop. And then to finish off with food recommendations for you to check out, go to Restorio Colago. Now, this is the place you must come to for lunch and ideally hike up to this village of Colago. Again, oh, am I pronouncing it right? Probably not. It's spelled C-O-L-L-A-G-U. They're not a restaurant. Okay, so it's really hard to explain. It is like this humble kitchen. That's all it is but with the most insane views of your life. I actually think these views were better than that of Cartesi. Honestly, I don't know. It, it's hard. It helps that you can sit outside on like these little picnic tables with little checkered red and white tablecloths and just breathe in the surroundings and that piece they they're going to bring you their own meat that they make some cheese their own docg wines it is charming it is simple and simply unforgettable so you must put that on your list now if you aren't staying in one of the four rooms of Salis, I can certainly recommend our hotel, which lies about halfway between Val de Biardene and Conegliano. So it's a great place for just really exploring all of the little towns throughout. Now check out Hotel Villa Soligo. Fun fact, it was apparently Bellisconi's favourite hotel when he visited the area. Now, it's a renovated 18th century mansion. It's got a pool and, oh my God, just a delicious breakfast. The most dangerous croissants filled with pistachio cream. Oh, oh my God. One of the best things to come out of Italy, I swear. Right. Okay. Enough of my kryptonite. <laughs> There are festivals for you to attend. There is the Conegliano Valdobbiadene experience. The 2024 dates aren't out yet, but 2023 was 10 days in June. So keep your eyes out for next year. They will, I assume, put information on the website www.conegliannovaldobbiadene.it. But to give you an idea, there are tours, there's excursions, all of which can be done by bike or by foot, on horse, or even, of course, we're in Italy here, people, Vespa scooter. They put on picnics, vineyard concerts of 
course there's loads of food and wine pairings but if you go to www.primaveradelprosecco.it you're also going to find out about their spring activities there is the Centomiglia on the Strada de Corneliano Valdebiadene and this is for all you vintage car lovers this is all to celebrate the oldest wine road in Italy yes the oldest wine road in Italy and of course you can follow the 100 kilometer paved road and cycle there are hiking routes now lastly of course you need to go and visit some wineries I have already mentioned Gemin who have a gorgeous tasting room that just looks out onto um well I'm just thinking how to describe it it's like actually surprisingly flat in terms of where the vines are planted, considering the region. But then this backdrop of the most incredible sloping mountains coming from all different directions. Okay, then if you like art, super slick and sexy is Bortolomiol. Bortolomiol. <laughs> One of the pioneers of this area, experimenting with grapes and the Martinotti method. And they have art all over their estates and these installations that have been created by women artists who come to stay with them for a month. They study the territory and then they create works of art that link the vineyards to silk as the winery used to be one of the main silk mills of the area. So it's it's really inspiring. You might want to go to Perlage. It's a great winery to visit if you love organic viticulture. They were the first organic winery in the DOCG. They were also the first to be certified vegan. One of the first wineries to get B Corp certification back in 2017. So loads of initiatives you can learn about if you go and visit them. And oh, although I could talk about so many other wineries that we visited or the wines that we tried, I'm just going to finish off with Bival. Now, their wines, they come literally from just one plot of land, six hectares on one Riva. So they will all be labelled Riva de la Senta. Now, the view is magnificent. You'll truly grasp what heroic viticulture is here when you see the steep hills just falling away from you below your feet. And if you like thick, gnarly vines, they have vines over a hundred years old. So this certainly is the most awe-inspiring of all of them. Oh, I honestly, I just promise you the best time, no matter where you go or who you go to visit. Okay, I I am so nearly done. <laughs> I can't believe how much there is to express about this place. Honestly, I am such a true, true convert. Now, I want to talk about the bees, because who doesn't want to talk about bees? So when you're in the Prosecco Hills meeting the producers, many of them have signed up to these bee projects. Sadly, 50 years ago, there weren't many diseases around, but now there's just loads. And so there is a need to recreate the balance in the vineyards to be able to create that contrast between the good insects and the bad ones. So along with using manures and nutrients, they are working with bees. So bees create ongoing communities 
and are really sensitive to pollination. So if you have a healthy bee population in the vineyard, it means you have a healthy vineyard with more biodiversity. You can also look at the bees and see what they are picking up, which could also allow you that access to see how the use of treatments and chemicals in the vineyards are working. Now, the whole thing for me I found fascinating, how many vineyards are working with bees to work towards this more sustainable viticulture. And they seem to really be leading the way. Glyphosate was banned in 2009 alongside all systemic herbicides. I mean, I can't carry on. Otherwise, we will have to make this a part two. So just trust me, grab some Conegliano Valdebiadene Prosecco Superiore DOCG and book your flights. This will be such a stunning trip. And so I'll just finish off with one of the loveliest wine quotes out there. Wine is sunlight held together by water. And as many of you know, that was said by Galileo Galileo. Absolutely magical. Now, I hope you have felt my passion and energy from this episode as I've really loved sharing my experience with you all. And so if I have succeeded... I can guarantee you will feel the same thing next week with my guest, Luma Montero. She has been named in the top 100 most influential people in drinks by Drinks Retailing. She has won the Emerging Talent Wine Communicator Award from the International Wine and Spirit Competition. She is a passionate, expressive wine educator. And we will be talking about her home, Brazil, and the interesting developments of wine in this country. So may I thank you all for listening and continuing to learn and allowing me to share my wine journeys with you. If you are getting value, of course, you know the best thing you can do to help make these podcasts available for others is to leave a review and or a rating on the podcast app you're listening to especially apple podcasts and spotify so please do take just two minutes to do this and as they say in brazil um brinji a vida a toast to life so get yourself ready for next week's episode until then wine friends cheers to you